to our online audience. We are just blessed to have you joining us from uh, week to week. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, that no sooner is Thanksgiving over, and we are already into the Christmas season. And here it is, the second Sunday of Advent, with two more to go, and only 20 days until Christmas. I was saying to Kathy, I feel like we just put away the Christmas decorations, and here we are pulling them out again. And you say, well, I'm not sure time is going that quickly, but <clears throat> when you get to be my age, that's what happens. Time goes more quickly. But uh, it's an exciting time of the year, isn't it? It's a beautiful time of the year. Most people are really now focused on uh, getting everything done for December 25th, right? It's all about getting ready for Christmas. But I want us to be reminded this morning that the wonder and the blessing of this Christmas season is really in observing Advent. It's an opportunity for us to really reflect on the true meaning and the message of Christmas. But with all that's going on, it really requires a lot of intentionality. And sometimes as Christians, we must admit, we're not often very intentional. If we feel like it, if the mood hits, then uh, we'll just exercise our minds in a certain direction. But how many of you know that if you really want to grow in godliness, it takes intention? It takes initiative. There are times when we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, I will spend time with God in prayer instead of turning on that TV set. I will open my Bible and read it instead of reading whatever is on my phone. We have so much time to read Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of social media, but how much time do we have to spend in the Word which can nourish our soul instead of frustrate our spirit? Because that's what the news does. <laughs> that's what social media can do. But if we, if we come to the banqueting table that the king has prepared for us, we can satiate our souls and delight in the fatness that God wants to bring into our lives. Maybe I need to back up for just a moment and say that perhaps some of you don't really understand this concept of Advent. And maybe if you grew up in a Pentecostal church like I did, we didn't talk too much about Advent. We thought Advent was on the church calendar for those less spiritual Christians, the liturgical Christians, uh, the churches that observed rituals and regimen. But it seems that the light has begun to dawn, and more and more, even charismatic churches are saying, this is Advent. This is a glorious season. We need to understand what it means and we need to reflect on the true meaning of Christmas and drink deeply of the riches that God has for us during this Advent season. Advent, for those of you who are not familiar, comes, with, comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and it means coming. The word suggests that there's knowledge of some event that is coming. 
And therefore, we are now given the opportunity to prepare for that event. Well, it's clear one event is coming. Jesus was coming to Bethlehem, being born in a manger so that he could be the savior of the world. But there needed to be a preparation for that coming. And the Bible tells us that God set aside John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, who prepared the people for the coming Messiah. And in all of the Synoptic Gospels, we read this account. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And you might say, well, Pastor, the Lord already came to Bethlehem. But I believe that even though there may have been, and hopefully there was a day when we knelt at the foot of the cross and Jesus came into our hearts. But I believe that is not a one and done deal. Yes, it's a one and done deal that we are saved, that we're regenerated, but Jesus wants to come into our hearts on a daily basis. Jesus wants to reveal the glory of his presence to us in a daily way, revealing to us that he has the grace, he has the strength, he has the might, he has the power to cause us to live with him in heavenly places and to walk as conquerors in this world full of sin and full of darkness, that we can be the light of the world. But it's through Advent that we reflect upon Jesus continually coming into our hearts. Advent is a season of hope. It's a season of expectation. Yes, even when all is dark, even when there is despair on every hand, that seems to be the human condition. And Isaiah, when he prophesied of the coming Messiah, he said these words, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You see the picture there? Darkness, despair, Yet, if you go down into that chapter, a few more verses, you read these words concerning this bright light that is about to come. This light that is to come to those who are living in the land of the shadow of death. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Yeah. And of his government and kingdom there shall be no end. And if Jesus is ruling and reigning in a kingdom that rules over all, even over the darkness that is all about us, then we can rejoice in anticipation that the light 
The day spring has come into our lives. One of my favorite Christmas carols is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's a song about those who are sitting in darkness of which Isaiah spoke in chapter 9 and verse 2. But they are hoping for a coming Messiah. And the words to that Christmas carol are, oh, come. Do you hear the, the cry? Do you hear the longing of their hearts? Oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, imprisoned Israel, that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. So rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come now, day spring. Come and cheer our hearts by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. So rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And I'm so glad to say today that we are the Israel of God, and he has come. He has come to scatter the darkness, to shatter the bondage, and to bring light and glory and truth into our lives that we can walk in the liberty and the joy and the peace of knowing him as our personal Lord and Savior. But we confess that we're in a season where there are still sometimes unanswered prayers. We still find ourselves in seasons of darkness. And so we wait. We wait, but we wait in hope. As Dino prayed, this is not a passive waiting. This is an act of waiting. There's an excitement in my heart. God, you've not answered yet, but you're going to answer because your word is true. Your promises are yes and amen. 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 The promises are sometimes delayed. And when you look at the history of God's dealings with his people and how the revelation of his purpose unfolds, think about all of the 300 plus promises that the prophets spoke concerning the coming Messiah. And then we get to the book of Malachi. And after that, there is 400 years of silence. Did God forget that he promised the Messiah would come? Certainly not. Because he came, his timing is always perfect. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter four, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. And I want you to know this morning, when the fullness of time has come in your life, in your situation, in your desperation, God will send his son. God will send his son. That son of righteousness that will brighten the darkness. That son of righteousness that will shatter the darkness. That son of righteousness that will bring you breakthrough and blessing. But you hope and you wait in active anticipation that my God is a faithful God. He will come. He has promised and he will come. Yeah. You know, Advent is also a reminder that he who came the first time 
after centuries, waiting for the promise, waiting for the promise. He came, born as the prophets foretold in Bethlehem. And so it's a reminder during Advent that now we still cling tenaciously to the promise that he is coming again. He is coming again. I don't know if you just listen to the news, then you're just, what is this world coming to? How can, how can we, 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 we be surrounded with so much vice and vile and dis disgusting perversion? How is it possible? How, how oh, I don't even want to get in to the, to the sins and the, and the depravity that is being justified and glorified and magnified and, and rationalized. It's, it's just wonderful. No, 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 no. This woke mentality is the destruction of America. And it's the times are dark and they're getting darker. But you and I as believers, we have a blessed and a glorious hope. When all wrongs shall be righted, when all evil will be punished, when the righteous will be vindicated. And Jesus said when he spoke about his return, then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Maybe you're being persecuted today because you're a Christian. Maybe you're being being uh, scorned and reproached and shamed because, oh, you're, you're a goody two-shoes and you believe in the Bible and you go to church. The day is coming, my friend, when you're going to shine like the sun in your Father's kingdom. And those that reproached you and shamed you, they're going to be cast into an eternity of hell if they don't repent of their sin. So during this Advent season, we, we want to be intentional. We want to be purposeful, ensuring that we spend our time focusing on the true meaning of, Chris, of Christmas. And I'm saying all that to say that in this coming month, before the 25th arrives, I want us to focus our attention on the Christmas story. The Christmas story, not as the world tells it. Because the Christmas story, as the world tells it, is deck the halls with bowels of holly. And think about it, even in our homes so often, Christmas is about everything and maybe, just maybe, there's a little manger scene tucked away under the tree. And that, that's fine, just so we understand and we know in our hearts and minds what this holiday is all about. These are holy days. I think you know that the derivative of the word holiday really is from two words, holy days. These are holy days. Advent is a time for us to deepen our walk in God. Not to be frivolous, not to be stressed out with all that you've got to do before the 25th. And time is getting away from us. Only 20 days till Christmas and I still haven't started my baking. I haven't started my shopping. I haven't started my Christmas readings. How am I going to get it all done? They come to my heart, Lord Jesus, that other Christmas carol. There's room in my heart for thee. There was no room for Jesus in the end. But in all of our hearts, may we say, during this Advent season, come to my heart, 
Lord Jesus. I want my mind, I want my consciousness, I want my thinking, I want my activity to be preeminently about you and what it means that you came into this world to save sinners such as myself. So this morning I want us to look at one aspect of the Christmas story that we find in Matthew chapter 1. And as I was reading and studying this message, I've come up with this theme. It's Joseph's emotional journey to Christmas. And we're going to read together, beginning at verse 18, if you have your Bibles or follow along on the screen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to be put, to sh put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in the interest of time, we're going to stop it right there. Have you ever thought about the fact that Joseph is perhaps, of all the Christmas characters, the least that is recognized? When you think about the characters of Christmas, first of all, Mary certainly is the first to come to mind. And you have those glorious Christmas carols about Mary, did you know? But how about Joseph? He was her husband, the father-to-be of baby Jesus. Why isn't he included? The Christmas carols are all about the shepherds, are they not? All about the angels singing, about the magi who came to worship the king. But there's very little mention of Joseph. He's not given very much attention, but when you think of it, even though Jesus had no biological father, obviously because deity uh, cannot have a father, he is the everlasting father. But after Jesus was born, Joseph became his adopted dad. And you know, in Jesus' day, fathers were especially honored. They, they were the men who set the spiritual tone. They were the men who established structure in the homes. They, they were the men who stood for God and led their families in the ways of God. And when we think about Joseph and his relationship with the little baby and the boy Jesus, Joseph invested so much of his life in nurturing Jesus as a child. He was responsible to even train Jesus in the craft that Jesus and the vocation that Jesus did until he became 30. And he was then launched into his ministry. And so we want to follow Joseph this morning in his emotional journey into the Christmas story. And as I read verse 18 of our text this morning, I deduce the first emotion of Joseph is one of tremendous excitement 
we read that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. That meant she was engaged, and like most men that get engaged, she said yes. I'm going to get married. This is the happiest day of my life. Now we need to understand in the day of Jesus, things worked differently in that time and culture than they do today. Marriages were first of all arranged by the parents. You didn't choose your spouse. They chose. They felt that they had the wisdom and the guidance to do so. And of course, it made a lot of sense back then because they were married at a much younger age. Most women were married as teenagers. They say a brain isn't fully matured in uh, an ability to reason until it's 25 years old. That means that my brain wasn't fully mature when I got married, but I thank God for leading me to the right woman. God knows that even in our weaknesses we can make mistakes, but he's faithful, isn't he? And uh, marriage is being arranged by parents. Uh, when they became of age to marry, there were two aspects of that ceremony. The first was a betrothal. And that betrothal was the engagement. This is when we say we are committing ourselves to one another. Or the parents are saying, you're committing yourself to him and he's committing himself to you. It was as good as if you were married. But then they lived apart for one whole year, and after that year, the wedding took place. First, the engagement. And we, we understand engagements, right? That's when that sparkling ring is given, you know? And then after that comes the wedding ring, and then after that comes the suffering. <laughs> Some of you caught that. And I, that, that was a joke. I wasn't talking about me. I was talking about you. <laughs> so this actual wedding takes place under a hoopah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I, I looked at 10 different YouTubes about the right pronunciation of that word, and everyone said it differently. I thought, isn't that strange? Some said chapa, some upa. But it was a canopy, and I love, Kathy and I went to a Jewish wedding once, and I've got to tell you, the, the symbolism and the meaning and everything they do is just so beautiful. This, this canopy under which the bride and groom get married is representative of God's presence over them as a couple, confirming this marriage that it is for all of time, that it will be blessed, it will be fruitful, it will be joyous, it will be blessed, and a blessing to others. And so Joseph is thinking about all of this engagement and then finding the marriage that is to take place, when suddenly that emotion of excitement turns into an emotion of shock. Because we read in verse 18, Mary was with child by the Holy Spirit. Now you need to look into the other Gospels to understand the sequence of events that took place. You recall that it was Mary who was first visited by the angel, right, Gabriel? 
and gave her news that was so unbelievable she could not process it. And so the angel of the Lord said, if you're having a hard time processing this, then I want you to know about your cousin Elizabeth. That woman who was barren all of her life is now with child. You need to go spend some time with Elizabeth. And that will help you come to an understanding that with God, nothing shall be impossible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Here's a virgin who's being told, you're going to have a baby. Babies don't happen through virginity. Here's Elizabeth and some historic resources tell us that she was 88 years old. Can you imagine? You can't even imagine a 60-year-old woman having a baby. Here she was, 88 years old, and she is having a baby. Now picture this. Mary spends three months with Elizabeth. She has all that time to process in the seclusion of that precious home with Elizabeth and Zacharias, these godly people. And then she returns home. And this is when Joseph finds out he has no clue that Mary is pregnant. Unless by three months he sees a slight baby bump. But somehow, some way, he finds out that she is pregnant. And clearly, what would you do? Just fall into utter shock. How, how, why? You're going to have a baby? I know it had nothing to do with me. We're married. We're engaged. Mary, we're supposed to be getting married. How can you be pregnant? And that emotion of shock goes then into this third emotion of just absolute confusion. Joseph's world is turned upside down. All he knows is she's pregnant. And she can't be my wife. I can't marry her. What am I to do? So he faced a very tough decision about what to do because he wasn't living in the 21st century where people get engaged and then if they change their mind, they just say, engagement's off. No one thinks anything of it. But as, as I suggested that in that day, when you were engaged, it was as if you were as good as married. And if you needed to break the engagement, what you needed to do was have a certificate of divorce written up. There was a formal ceremony. It was a big hoopty-la. Joseph thought long and hard about how to break it off with Mary. And a big part of his confusion is explained in verse 19, because the Bible says that her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he said, I need to do this privately. I need to do this quietly. I need to do this in a way that does not bring reproach or shame upon Mary. Think about what a godly, sensitive man Joseph was. We, we, don't, we don't give him credit. All we know is, you know, the, the superficial story that the angel came to him and told him, it's okay, Joseph, get married. But can we enter into his emotion here? He's madly in love this woman. He doesn't understand that you can conceive by the Holy Spirit. That was a one-time deal. It all, only happened once, and it so happened 
to Mary. He's shocked, he's devastated, he's confused, but he's so sensitive. He feels hurt, he feels betrayed. Mary, how, how could you do this to me? He wants to put her away privately. And I thought to myself, when people hurt us, when people do something that is so deeply painful that it's like putting a knife in our hearts, what's our reaction? Do we worry about, oh, I don't want to hurt them? No, we look for our first opportunity. Who can I, who can I tell what they did? How nasty they were, how mean they were, how awful they were, how ungodly they were. Not Joseph. But even after coming to that conclusion, the Bible says while he thought about these things, you see these thoughts are bouncing around in his mind, his brain. He's in deep thought over this dilemma, what to do, and that produced fear. Now there's only one reason you tell somebody not to be afraid, and that reason is because they are afraid. What did the angel say to Joseph in his dream? Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. It's interesting, is it not, that the angel came with a message giving Joseph an option that he didn't even consider. <laughs> and that reminds us of how very, very often you and I are in circumstances that we find really difficult and we mull over them, and we, we lose sleep over them, and we finally come to a conclusion. This is how I'm going to handle it. Never giving any thought, God, do you have another solution? God, do you have a better way? Maybe some of you are in that situation right now, and God is wanting to say to you, what you're planning to do is not my will. I have a better way. I have a better plan. I have a better option. Joseph's decision was sensitive. It was godly, but it was not the best decision. He needed to hear from God. We need to hear from God. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Don't let your mind do all the thinking because our carnal mind will draw wrong conclusions. Our carnal mind, if we are not under the control of the Holy Spirit, if you're not prayed up, if you're not walking and living in communion with God, your carnal mind will take you down a path that will lead you in a wrong way, that will rob you of God's blessing and hinder and thwart the purposes and destiny of God in your life. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all of your ways. What's the scripture say? Acknowledge him. Do you know what that word acknowledge in the Hebrew is? It's yada, Y-A-D-A. It's the same word that is used in the book of Genesis where Adam knew his wife Eve. It means you enter into an intimate knowing and relationship with God that now his mind is your mind. His heart is your heart. 
And as you yada with God, he shall direct your path. He will make the crooked places straight. But it requires that you get into that intimate place with God. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't have time to pray. You're not yada with God. Oh, maybe you're saying intellectually, I'm acknowledging God. I know that God is God and that I need his guidance, I need his direction. It's more than that. So much of our Christianity is mental ascent, but it hasn't gone from here into here. God wants us to yada with him. He wants us to know him in an intimate way. And that intimacy, not to just be a one-time thing, where, oh, I experienced the glory of God, it was so awesome, that was 20 years ago. How many spouses and marriages only know intimacy 20 years ago? Throw that marriage away, who needs that? Joseph's decision needed to see God's perspective. And once he saw God's perspective, his emotion turned into a resolute resolve. I will do the will of God. I will be obedient. And the scripture says, and Joseph woke from sleep, he did. There were no further questions. There was no further confusion. There was no more fear. You know, when you hear God, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what anyone else does. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You know that you know you heard the voice of God. You know what the will of God is. And you do that. You set your face as a flint. Jesus is the captain and the leader of our salvation. He's our example. What does the scripture say? He set his face as a flint. You know what that means? In Italian we say, what well, we say about the head, dura, a hard head. But this is a hard face. It means I'm not going to allow myself to be dissuaded in any way, shape, or form. When Jesus knew that it was the Father's will to go to that cross, he set his face as a flint, and he walked into Jerusalem knowing that he was sealing his fate because he heard the Father's will, and he knew that the Father's plan was for him to go to the cross. See, we can come to that resolve in our life when we have an encounter with heaven. We can come to that resolve when we choose in our heart of hearts, Lord, I will follow you regardless of the cost. You just show me the way. I'm not only going to get in the back seat, I'll get in the trunk. You drive the car, you take me to where you want me to go. Let me be your coin in your pocket. Spend me as you will. It's the resolve that each and every one of us must make this morning for really going to be true children of God. And I think about Joseph this morning. Did you ever stop to think that by marrying Mary, could have washed his hands, everyone would have known he's not the dad, he just divorced her. But by marrying Mary, he opened the door for the tongues to wag. 
pregnant, now you've got to live with her. Joseph refused to be ruled by his emotion of confusion, fear, and doubt. He had no selfish interest. It was God, your will, your plan, your way. There was no room for victim mentality because when we get a grasp of God's vision and God's purpose, we're willing to pay any price because we see something bigger than ourselves. How are you living your life today? Is it all about you? Is it all about what you want, what you think, what you feel? What your ambitions are to fulfill in life? But it's about, Lord, what, what do you want from my life? You, you put me here with a special purpose that only I can fulfill. Your fingerprint is unique. So is your destiny. So is your purpose. But have you resolved within your heart today that God, even as you uniquely designed me to be who I am, giving me the gifts, the talents, that you've given me, the personality that you've given me. Now I consecrate it to you. I give it to you. I want to walk in that destiny. I don't want to do my thing. I'm yours. Because the only path to true blessing is walking with him and allowing him to live his life in and through you. Joseph came to the place where he saw this isn't just about marrying Mary. This is about Daddy of the Messiah. And this Jesus that we're laying in a manger in Bethlehem stable, he is the one, the son of the true and living God who came to save his people from their sin. I mean, this is huge. This is beyond all imagination. This little baby is going to save the world from its sin. Do you see your purpose in your destiny this morning, Christian friend? It's huge. It's for the kingdom. It, it's not for this world. It's not for this life. Somebody come to the end of their life and they, they say, I, I was successful. I had a great career. I accomplished all my academic objectives. I, I achieved my, my corporate goals. I've got a nice retirement and bank account. I'm going to live comfortably the rest of my life. I've got money to leave to my kids. I've got a nice home. So you've spent a lifetime building for time. When God says, what are you going to show me in eternity? Because everything that we build for in time is going to go into the fire. And all that was not with a, an objective of bringing glory to God is going to be burned up. And we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And even though we, we know him and will be received into his heaven because of the grace of the cross, we'll stand there with no reward. The reward is coming to those who do the will of God, regardless of the cost. And the Bible tells us, and I close with these verses from Matthew 1, and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by his prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. All this took place. Think about your life today. It's been a rocky road, hasn't it? There have been disappointments. There have been dark seasons. There's been pain. There's been hurt. But the Holy Spirit has a message for you today. All this took place to fulfill the word of the Lord. God's purposes will never be thwarted. And if you are surrendered to Jesus Christ today, He is conforming us to the image of His Son. When people see us, do they see God with Paul Spiller? God with Simone? God with Edwin, God with Linda, God with Dawn, God with Javier, God with Jeremy. Does, do people in the world see that because we've said yes to the will of God? We've surrendered our hearts to Him. We've dedicated our lives to Him, our vocation to Him, the moments of our day. And we say, Lord, fulfill your purpose. I set my face as a flint. Though in the volume of the book it is written, I have come to do your will. Jesus was willing to leave the ivory palaces of heaven to come to this sin-sick earth. He wasn't born to live. He was born to die. How many of us would like to know that Bringing a baby into the world means there's a death sentence on their head. We look at our precious baby and we think about all the wonder of the life that is before them and how they're going to live their life and then enjoy their life and be fulfilled in life and be blessed and be successful and happy and married and grandchildren and all of that. When the father sent his son, he sent him knowing Jesus was born so that he could become the sacrifice for our sin. Oh, what a debt of love and gratitude we owe today. And I'm thankful this morning for this opportunity that we have through a communion service to remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. This is Advent. Jesus came to die. He came to reconcile the world unto himself. But that reconciliation can only take place through his death on that cross. This morning, let's with great thanksgiving receive communion together today and give praise and worship to God. If you've come into the sanctuary without a communion cup, our ushers will serve you. Please lift your hand high. Raise your hand if you didn't receive a communion. There's several of